Hi, this is JP Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, so today I am going to talk about the uh, Afghanistan debacle, the one that is currently unfolding as I speak in uh, Afghanistan, particularly in the airport at Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan where thousands upon thousands of Americans, allies, and Afghanistan allied troops and personnel are attempting to flee the country. But before I get into that, I want to uh, just give a commercial to uh, for the previous three episodes of this podcast. And during the last three episodes, uh, if you've been following the podcast, I've basically traced all of the major topics that have been covered on the blog or the podcast over the last year and a half or so, so since the beginning of the podcast. So I really encourage you to go back to the catalog after listening to this podcast and listen to um it's a three-part series of again talking about me talking about everything that has been covered uh so far on the on the podcast from defining conservatism to talking about uh political bigotry uh talking about uh what are human rights constitutes human rights and also uh, economic conservatism which is also a very important topic in the news so I encourage you to listen to uh, each of the last three uh, podcasts I think they will be very and they cover again um, the whole breadth of uh, topics that I discuss here on this podcast. Uh, one podcast or one topic I haven't discussed too much because it hasn't really needed to be discussed too much, luckily, has been the conflict in Afghanistan. And that is due mainly to the fact that, knock on wood, um, we have not had, or the United States has not suffered a combat casualty in Afghanistan in about 18 months. So hopefully that will remain true uh, long after this podcast is done, particularly uh, in light of what's happening there now. Um, as I do this podcast is now, uh, you know, uh, mid to late August 2021 and that is the the crisis that began when uh that was triggered by our precipitous leaving of Afghanistan uh came to a head last weekend um if you've been watching the news at all you would have seen 
uh, images, um, very horrifying images of, there's throngs of uh, Afghanistan civilians uh, trying to flee the country uh, after the fall of their country to the Taliban, and they're trying to get the last ride out. And so there's images of uh, Af Afghanistan national, Afghan nationals uh, clinging to the tires and parts of uh, C-17 aircrafts that are taken off. And unfortunately, uh, there was some dramatic footage of at least one person you can see falling to their death. And so you had a huge... Uh, humanitarian and military uh, tragedy unfolding before our eyes and it continues uh, as I cover this um, in the in, through this podcast so normally I try and stick to events that are kind of outside or beyond uh, just a simple current events but this one is so major and it does touch on uh, a lot of the things that we as libertarians and conservatives have been talking about. And so let me just get right into it. I, th I think the best way to do it is just to start from the beginning. Uh, so the Afghanistan debacle, um, we went there back in 2001 after... 9-11 attacks because that is where Osama bin Laden, leader of Al-Qaeda, was spending most of his time training terrorists. Um, we went there, we wanted to capture or kill bin Laden. Uh, of course, we eventually found bin Laden in Pakistan, neighboring country, and we did kill him. Uh, but at the time, it was believed he was in Afghanistan. I think We think we he narrowly escaped our forces um, by possibly just a matter of hours, if not minutes. I'm not sure about the exact timeline, but he escaped um, just before we were, our forces were able to get to him in Afghanistan. And so we invaded the country uh, sensibly to kill our, or capture uh, bin Laden. Uh, we also wanted to deny Al-Qaeda, the use of Afghanistan as a base of operations to uh, coordinate and plan their their terror attacks on the West. And towards that end, uh, we also deposed the Taliban, who at the time was in control of most of the country, except for a small portion up in the north, where the, a group called the Northern Alliance a federation of basically uh, tribes, tribal warlords from the north uh, held what, well, could be we what we determined at the time to be the legitimate remnants of the Afghanistan government. So we allied with the Northern Alliance uh, again, and we deposed the Taliban. Um, in early uh, 2002, late 2001, early 2002. 
U.S. and coalition forces support a newly created Afghan government, which we, uh, Hamid Karzai, was elected or appointed, I forget which one, but he was um, the uh, ruler or the president of Afghanistan uh, at the time that we installed. Uh, years later, after about 15 years uh, of being there, President Trump uh, promised to pull our troops out of Afghanistan. Uh, that was one of his camp campaign pledges, and he worked towards that goal. Um, the U.S. troop presence was reduced to approximately 2,500 U.S. servicemen, plus several thousand of our NATO allies. The original plan uh, created by then President Trump was to leave Afghanistan by May 1st, 2021, before the fighting season began that in Afghanistan is roughly from May to October. And of course, the reason for that is they have a very hard and snowy winter in that country. It's very tough to do any fighting. And so that's when the two sides go back um, basically to their corners and uh, regroup uh, for the next uh, fighting season. And that fighting, fighting season uh, occurs during the warm months, which again is approximately from May through October. And so when the, when, the snow, when the snow starts to melt on the mountains and they can begin their combat operations again. Uh, when President Biden was elected, he changed the target date to for us to depart um, from May 1st to September 11th. Uh, he wanted to be up by then. Obviously, there's that whole sim symbolism. Um, we know that those on the left coming from the political left have this obsession with symbology and dramatic timing, uh, things of that nature. And so I'm sure President Biden uh, want to be able to report at some September 11th, uh, 2021 commemorative speech, uh, which would be the 20th anniversary of the 20 or the September 11th attacks. Uh, I'm sure he imagined that he would be in some, uh, doing some speech, maybe at the Pentagon, maybe in New York City or Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and he would be commemorating and patting himself on the back for having our troops out and saying, 20 years after the attacks of September 11th, we have no combat troops in Afghanistan. Uh, that's obviously the moment he envisioned for himself, um, whether or not he gets that moment in any sort of way remains to be seen, uh, but to say the least, it has been tarnished, but there it is.
again, uh, the left's obsession with drama, again, comes up. And this time, uh, unfortunately, it uh, apparently has cost lives. And we'll go into that later. And so the date for our departure from it became August 31st, um, which is in the middle of the fighting season and the height is fighting season time of year when there would be the most Taliban troops on the ground. Uh, again, that's the height of the fighting season, uh, basically during the middle of the hot summer months in Afghanistan. And so pursuant to that new August 31st goal, um, on July 1st, 2021, we abandoned Bagram Air Base, the major air base in Afghanistan, in a move later in hindsight to prove quite foolish uh, and it was not the bending uh, Bagram was not the first choice of uh, a few of the planners who were planning our exit there uh, this is a place which I have some knowledge of so if you can imagine uh, airfield uh, the largest base American base NATO base in the country of Afghanistan, uh, pretty substantial area, um, pretty serviceable airfield, um, able to um, basically house a large number of soldiers. Um, of course, this is where the soldiers would usually come in when they're entering Afghanistan, they would come in through Bagram Air, Air Base, and then they would go push out to uh, wherever their ultimate destinations in the country were, or, or sometimes they would stay at Bagram. And so this was a major hub, was the hub of all the NATO um, ISAF um, operations in Afghanistan. And so, basically, uh, it's in a mountainous region. Um, there, it's right in the middle of kind of a mountain range. Um, just a small, uh, flat area in between uh, one mountain range close up and another one a little farther in the distance, but sort of almost ringed by mountains but not quite so pretty pretty out of the way defensible place um, again it was designed to hold troops which would have come in handy um, right about now one would imagine you could hold all of these refugees or would-be refugees attempting to flee Afghanistan you, know, you have the infrastructure and housing already there to house um, thousands and thousands of people. So logistically, I think it would have been much easier to do our exit from Bagram Airfield rather 
than the airport in Kabul, which is in the middle of an urban area. Um, much harder to defend without causing uh, civilian casualties. A lot of collateral damage would go into uh, if we had to defend, which we still may have to defend the airport in Kabul, uh, much, much greater chance of collateral civilian damage in Kabul than leaving out of Bagram. But that was the decision that was made, and so we did it. Um, probably in hindsight, we'll, again, I think will prove to be a, a foolish decision. Um, if you want to read more, there's a good article from the National Review from August 18th. Uh, it's called, Why Did the United States uh, Abandon Bagram Airfield? Uh, it's by John McCormick. Um, it describes the uh, what happened. Um, just to read a little bit from the article for you. Uh, it starts off, on the night of July 1st, the United States military departed from Bagram Airfield in Afghanistan, quote, without notifying the base's new Afghan commander who discovered the Americans' departure more than two hours after they left, the Associated Press reported at the time. As chaos erupted in Hamid Karzai International Airport, that's in Kabul. Following the follow the fall of Kabul, the Taliban on Sunday. That would be last Sunday, from what I'm speaking to you. Some members of Congress and Afghanistan war experts are asking why the United States didn't hold on to its secure base of twenty years at Bagram, located about thirty miles north of Kabul. Uh, no one, and this is a quote from some official, uh, no one in their right mind would have closed Bagram Air Base while leaving behind thousands of civilians. Arkansas GOP Senator and Afghanistan war veteran Tom Carton wrote on Twitter. And I agree with uh, Tom Carton on that. I think logistically it would have been much easier to to take these um, fleeing people out of the country from Bagram rather than using the airport in Kabul in the middle of the city. But, uh, you know, that was for uh, apparently smarter people for me to decide. So, you know, what, what do we know? Uh, soon after we abandoned Bagram, the Taliban started a major push to retake the country. Uh, basically, they blitzkrieged the country. Uh, they just rolled over, um, you know, taking province after province. It was so in, in the space of a few weeks, they had taken over the majority of the country. Uh, by the time we get around to August 14th, um, the Taliban had taken over the country, precipitating a crisis of Americans, Afghan allies, and others struggling to flee the country from the airport in Kabul, where the last vestige of U.S. and allied forces remain. The Taliban have 
warned those fleeing the country to be out by August 31st deadline. So we set this deadline or we uh, worked out this deadline, I guess the Biden administration must have with the Taliban. And now the Taliban are insisting we stick to it. So basically, because uh, you're hearing uh, there's negotiations between the Biden administration and the Taliban uh, to get us out for, you know, give us as much time as we need to get our civilians out of the country. So in essence, uh, what the Biden administration is doing is negotiating our surrender. In Afghanistan, I believe we had tens of thousands of Americans and other allied personnel. Um, these are people who were working on servicing the aircraft, uh, doing other logistical jobs um, on behalf of the Afghan government and the Afghan uh, military. And... Uh, of course, when the Taliban got wind that we had abandoned Bagram, and therefore, you know, the the Afghan National Army basically had uh, the rug pulled out from under it because um, they they had relied on support from the air from our military. I want to go into that in greater detail in a second. So there are thousands of Americans currently stuck in Afghanistan. Uh, there's a lot of Afghan nationals that aided the Afghan government and uh, U.S. allies there. Now they're in big trouble. Uh, there are reports of Taliban going door to door um, looking for uh, collaborators who worked with the United States and the Afghan allies. They also reportedly have the biometrics of the uh, helicopter pilots, um, possibly the technicians. So they have apparently information on who, uh, what Afghanistan nationals were flying the helicopters and other aircraft during the war before the, the fall to the Taliban. So they have reportedly um, that information by which they could figure out who was flying the aircraft. Um, and this is important because the Taliban had no air force. Taliban had no aircraft to really to speak of. The only aircraft they have now, the only uh, air force they have now are those that they've captured from either the previous Afghan government or from the United States and our allies. And so they have no one to really service the aircraft there. And of course, that that's the basis of the problem. Um, the mistake, I think in hindsight, I think we're going to, uh, will be determined is that we had taught the Afghan National Army and their military to uh, depend upon um, uh, U.S. air support. Um, 
they of course didn't have much of an air force before 2001 when we came there and they really didn't have much of an air force there since then but they they had you know so they depended upon us for the bulk of the air mission supporting the ground operations in uh, Afghanistan against the Taliban. And so I think the mistake, which will come out, um, of course, this is a subject that will be reviewed and reviewed and written about for probably years, if not decades to come. Uh, I think what the consensus will be um, among the historians and such people is that we probably made a mistake knowing that we were going to get out. Once we made the, the decision to get out of Afghanistan, uh, in hindsight, what we should have done was we should have weaned them off of our Air Force using, uh, dependent upon our our Air Force and air cover so much. Um, remember, before then, they were fighting mainly from horseback. It was more or less a, a guerrilla warfare. Uh, it was almost basically uh, World War One technology uh, and strategy and tactics. You know, it was basically from World War One era that they were fighting previous to our arrival there in 2001. And so the, Nor the Northern Alliance had been fighting the Taliban from horsebacks, and of course they had rocket launchers and AK-47s and other small arms. And they were able to, for years, to fight in their civil war against the Taliban. Um, but now, since we came in, uh, we integrated them. You know, we have, the United States has an integrated form of warfare where we have you know we utilize the army navy air force and marines all in joint operations with each other um, for mutual support you know particularly in support of ground operations and so we introduced a new doctrine of fighting uh, to afghanistan but it was not one that was native to the country. It's not one that had ever been used before. Again, they were basically fighting World War I uh, technology. They're, that's basically what they were doing. And so, you know, we, we advanced them. You know, we taught them how to fight our uh, Western-style integrated warfare, which works great. Um, if you have a technologically advanced country, stable country, and you're there, and, you know, it's a form of warfare that's extremely effective, but it is, it is um, very dependent, makes uh, certain components dependent upon the other components. So it's, while it's very effective when it's working, uh, you cannot remove a major part of it like the air power and have it succeed. And I think that's what the military historians will probably conclude is that it would have been better off once we made the decision to leave the country to 
uh, wean them off of air power um, or just totally, you know, gradually uh, transition over so that they can handle uh, operations um, with a minimum of air power, minimum of air support. Uh, they had been fighting, of course, the Taliban had been fighting all along in this kind of, you know, guerrilla style, World War One era style of ground fighting without uh, any significant, well, any real air power. And, of course, they have taken that style of fighting to victory, uh, it would seem, in that country. And so we kind of made, made the uh, Afghans too dependent upon our superior technology. And, you know, it, it was probably foreseeable, and I think you will hear generals um, in the near future and historians in the near future who will tell you that this was foreseeable and that we should have done more to wean them off of our their dependence upon our air support for their operations. Um, you know, we, we had, we still have, you know, better armament, even without the air operations, we have superior armament, uh, let's say tactics, methods, um, where I, I would like to think we're better running armies than the Afghans were prior to our, our arrival there. And so I think we could have adapted their fighting style to um, be effective or be more effective and less dependent upon um, air support than what we did. And of course, what that what that means practically is that we had uh, with air support, we had our reach throughout the entire country. We think we could uh, support troops in any part of the country on any given day um, and, you know, assist those supports or those troops on the ground. And, of course, what happens is, you know, you have uh, Afghanistan is very um, kind of a high desert climate country it's very mountainous almost all of it is mountainous uh very little um forest very very little in the way of forest or plains in that country it's almost all uh, a high desert sort of biome there and so that uh, leads to a lot of isolation between the population centers and so, uh, you know, we can easily overcome that with, of course, with air power that can be, as I said, in any part of the country within a few um, and support fighting in any part of the country. I think what probably uh, in retrospect should have happened is we should have, uh, well, one, just concentrated on using uh, fortifying where we could and 
uh, if there was a place that was so remote that could be held without air power, then that we might have had to cede that territory in order to uh, concentrate troops in more, I guess, strategically valuable territory where we could support, where we could bring uh, sufficient support in. So uh, there, I'm sure there will be books written on what we could have done and what we should have done. But um, suffice to say that, you know, we, this was foreseeable, um, even if we, you know, you could say that, you know, we can leave their Afghans to their own devices. You know, they've been fighting each other for decades. Um, it's never, you know, Afghanistan has never been a real country in the truest sense of the word, as we understand it. It's always been a collection of tribes, confederation of tribes. Um, and there's several different languages being spoken in that country. I forget how many languages are spoken there, but it's not even um, a country that's held together by a common language. And so you have that. So it's a collection of basically warring tribes in a loose confederation that we call Afghanistan. And so, uh, well, those facts notwithstanding, we didn't train the Afghan military to fight uh, without depending upon air cover or air support. And for whatever reason, we decided to maybe leave them to their own devices. Um, so that's what happened there. And now we have the situation here um, at the Kabul airport where people are trying to flee the country. We have thousands of Americans and other uh, people from different Western countries trying to flee the country. Uh, apparently, we did not consult our NATO allies with our plan, and we just sort of acted precipitously. Um, and I know our allies, particularly in Britain, are none too happy with the way we've left the country or the way we've attempted to leave the country. Uh, basically, very poor planning. Uh, again, um, in retrospect, I think it was would have been a better plan to keep Bagram intact. I think what happened there is the plan was that we would leave Bagram and then after we left we'd say to our to our Afghan allies, oh by the way, get, you might want to leave because we're going to obliterate our armament our armaments that we've left there. Um, so that was probably um, what they wanted to do, obviously. But in, we did not destroy our armaments. We left them behind. And, of course, now they are in the hands. We have billions upon billions of dollars worth of equipment, uh, MRAPs, uh, small arms, uh, helicopters, all sorts of military equipments have now fallen into the hands of the Taliban. 
so I don't think we really thought that part through and I think that see that um, there were parts of the original Trump plan that were not understood by the Biden administration and why they were in place and and I think what happened was that when Biden decided to leave the country, he didn't understand what the plan was or he didn't have a complete picture of what uh, Trump's plan was. So he did not know um, apparently what we had planned for uh, a post-exit um, Afghanistan. So anyway uh things happened as they did you know thousands upon thousands uh, the problem is now that these are you know that kabul is basically controlled you know except for the airport is controlled by the taliban and they have their checkpoints set up and it's apparently very hard for a westerner to come from other parts of the country to get to uh, the border uh, or to get to the airport. Uh, once we get them to the airport, it's no problem. We have the immediate you know, airport secured, at least for the time being. So if they can get to the airport, they're fine. But of course the problem is getting from other parts of the country or other parts of Kabul to the airport. That's the problem. And of course, um, I would imagine that you would plan differently if you had decided to keep Bagram. You would have to do it differently because now you have people coming from different parts. You know, you don't have a city that everybody's coming from. And so you'd be doing ferrying a lot of people, I imagine, by helicopter or by convoy. But, um... You know, there would have been some sort of um, different sort of planning to go into our exfiltration of the country had we kept Bagram. But once you got the people there, you know, you have enough room at Bagram to house uh, a large portion of these people. And it's a defensible place, you know, as long as you... Uh, command the uh, nearby mountain range um, you, know, you command the heights and then you can pretty much uh, it's it's very uh, defensible it's much more defensible uh, particularly when you're worried about civilian uh, casualties uh, Bagram is a much more defensible place uh, if you have to fight it out with the Taliban um, it would be much better to do it at, or in and around Bagram, a more isolated area than in the middle of a big city where you could have a, a large collateral damage. And of course, you know, no one wants to see buildings being destroyed on TV, you know, even if it's by the Taliban, you know, because they will always say that it was the Americans or the Allies that did anyhow. As we've seen in other places, in other conflicts, um, it will, it will, whatever ha happens. And of course, you know, the, uh, 
the 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 American shells always seem to find the only baby food factory in the entire country, or or the only uh, or every single hospital in the country. They always seem to to find that, <laughs> and so so you don't want to fight in a city if you don't really have to. And I think that's will be the consensus going forward. But right now, uh, first thing to do is really just pray for the people who are remain or are trying to flee Afghanistan. And but also um, this demonstrates that just it doesn't seem like very much planning went into this. They made a lot of faulty assumptions, did the Biden administration. They thought they would have months, you know, at least weeks, if not months. It turned out that really they only had very few many a few uh, weeks to get the people out, uh, really basically days. You know, once the uh, Taliban, you know, started, you know, once the Afghan army started fleeing um, because they didn't have air air support they didn't have, again they didn't know how to fight the this in the style previous to our coming there that the taliban were, were still used to that was not dependent upon technology so they they had no you know the their way of fighting had just completely disappeared and that's what happened with the Afghan uh, National Army and the Afghan military. It's not that they were cowards per se. It was because they were left without their main support um, uh, warfare that they've been accustomed to in the, last, in the previous decade or so. And so you have now a humanitarian crisis you have a distinct possibility of Americans and others being held hostage. Uh, what a lot of people are saying, anticipating, is that sort of like the way we got our four hostages, I think it was four hostages from Iran, a few years back during the Obama administration, we sent them pallets of cash in the middle of night. Uh basically as ransom for the hostages. And a lot of people are speculating that that's what's going to happen now, that we're going to have to pay off the Taliban uh, in order to gain safe passage for certain people. And this is so, you know, if you listen to us for a year from now, uh, you'll obviously have, you'll know how it turned out and whether or not uh, I was, I was wrong or, President Biden was wrong or everybody was wrong. Uh, you'll know how it turned out. But as, as of right now, there's a distinct possibility of hostages being taken. Um, we're going to have to deal with that. And what's interesting is at home, um, of course, naturally, you know, you have these images of people fi falling from airplanes, trying to jump on a moving airplane. You know, I I think they're pretty well. You know, the 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 Afghans that remain there, 
they know that they're in real big trouble. Uh, those who collaborated with the United States, I think that you're going to start seeing uh, mass executions pretty soon, unfortunately. It's going to be uh, reminiscent of the uh, when ISIS took over uh, large swaths of Iraq after we left that country and uh, of Syria, um, you know, during the when ISIS had their caliphate, when they're trying to establish their caliphate, you're going to see a lot of that. Um, maybe you'll see that uh, times 10, uh, unfortunately. But that is the state of affairs that we're at now. Uh, and, and, you know, you're in a situation now where, again, you can see on TV people trying to board a moving airplane and falling off of an airplane already in the air. And so it's just a complete PR disaster for President Biden, well-deserved one, I might add. But it's a complete disaster because you have all of the major media. It's not just Fox um, criticizing President Biden and his plan and his handling of the Afghan situation. You have the mainstream media um, really uh, leveling criticize criticizing the president over his handling over it and it it's there's no other way to describe it except as a debacle it is the worst uh military humiliation that i've seen in my lifetime uh faced by the united states military uh it's one that was i believe was preventable i think most a lot of experts would agree that it was a preventable one uh, it was never going to be uh, risk-free. It was never more to mitigate the risk. Uh, have we just foreseen? Um, There's a lot of people who were saying uh, months in advance that the 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 government in Kabul was going to fall, and that the Taliban were going to assume control of the country. Uh, I think we're in denial of that. Uh, we were in denial, or maybe uh, the Biden administration just didn't care. They just wanted to get out and get their photo up on September 11th. Say, hey, everybody's out. Yay, yay for us. Um, well, that's that moment's not going to happen, I'm afraid, for the president. Um, so, there it is. Um, you have... A uh, precipitous exit from a country that we've been in for about 20 years, nearly 20 years now. Um, some have argued that, uh, particularly in the light of the fact that we, the United States hasn't had a combat loss in something like 18 months, at least, you know, up to this date, um, could change, like, literally by the time you hear this, but, uh, Knock on wood, um, so far we, we went 18 months. We, it seemed like we had a very, uh, relatively speaking, low-risk, high-reward situation in there in that we kept the Taliban at bay. We kept them 
from assuming operational control of the country uh, where they could go and, you know, uh, start up the terror and run their terror camps the way they had previous to 9-11. Now, of course, they'll be able to go back to that full force and with a vengeance. Uh, already signs of Al-Qaeda uh, getting back in there, reestablishing themselves in the country. So, um, you have a, you have that now we're the president is claiming that, well, we can still, you know, if we see a, a camp pop up, uh, somewhere in Afghanistan, we can still go bomb it. And that may be true, but how are you going to know that camp is there? Um, you know, you had camps operating, uh, for apparently for years prior to 9-11. I'm um, sure we knew about some of them, but not all of them. Uh, if you don't have uh, people on the ground, if you don't have that human intelligence on the ground, it's kind of hard. You know, it's always easier when you're in the country and you can send people out and you can get that human intelligence, collect that human intelligence from, you know, the source. And... But uh, we're not going to have that. We're going to have to rely on other methods now, chiefly. Um, so, well, you know, if they do set up a camp, you know, we'll have to trust that uh, that we be able to detect those camps in the future, which is no certainty at all. Um, so that's going to be a problem. Uh, the immediate problem, of course, will be uh, the risk of hostages being taken. Uh, you remember uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, for 440 days, uh, we had hostages taken from uh, by the Iranians, by the Ayatollah. Uh, finally, they were released uh, on the day that uh, President Reagan was inaugurated. But, uh, and we had that, we could have that times 10, uh, unfortunately now, um, God willing, we won't, but it's a distinct possibility as things stand right now. And, you know, well, what are we going to do then? Then we're going to have to, uh, well, you know, this administration would be likely to pay off them again here. There'll be pallets of cash, as we did with Iran, uh, in the middle of the night. Um, and, of course, they will use that money to fund more terror. I mean, it's not like they're going to use that money to build wells in Afghanistan and schoolhouses and, <laughs> and soccer stadiums in that country. Uh, it's a pretty safe bet that if we pay them any sort of ransom, it will be used to keep the terror operations going and uh, enable whoever basically wants to, like Al-Qaeda or ISIS now, uh, to go in that country and operate. Um, so, I mean, we know what, what happens to money that is paid off to hostile regimes. Uh, it's not 
generally used for good purposes. It goes back into is reinvested into the terror or bad acts by that country that we give it to. And so you have that problem. And of course, um, you have the Russians and the Chinese also waiting in the wings to uh, sweep into that power vacuum. Um, the Taliban don't have anybody to fix their helicopters that we left behind. So they're going to need pilots, they're going to need trainers, they're going to need people to take over that uh, supply and logistics and service role that we left after uh, leaving the country. Someone's going to fill those roles and that will probably either be the Russians or the Chinese, could be either or both, um, but you know, either one of those countries will be more than happy to fill the void that we are leaving in that country. And that's going to upset the geopolitical balance throughout the world. And so if you want to know how all this relates to, uh, say, conservatism, it's like, well, conservatism uh, may tend to, you know, particularly since Reagan is, you know, peace through superior firepower. And now we're giving up a lot of that strength that we had, that the firepower that we had in that region gave us in that region. Now we're giving it up and we're going to give up the strength that, con that came with it. And I think, unfortunately, we'll find out the hard way. Uh, in ways we can imagine, in some ways that we uh, haven't imagined yet. Um, we're going to pay, I think, for our precipitous exit from that country. And so, uh, meanwhile, at home, it's tremendous uh, political problems for the president. Um, you got the mainstream media criticizing him openly. Uh, that's not something you've seen almost at all from the mainstream media until now. But again, there's no turning away. There's no denying what you see, the images you see on the TV, uh, people falling out of planes, people handing their their toddlers and babies over to uh, British and American troops in Afghanistan over the razor wire to, for them to at least be able to flee the country. And so you have those images there's no denying that i mean there's you know you can only try and blame trump so much but as the president uh said recently to quote eisenhower you know the buck stops here um if the if president biden has any political enemies in the uh, democrat party that maybe don't wish him well. I think they're going to come out. Um, I think if there were any machinations going on in the Democrat Party um, with regards to maybe removing him on the 25th Amendment or impeaching him or whatever, uh, if there were any, I think those plans are going forward. Um, and of course, um, 
also it's worth mentioning um, coming towards the end of the podcast I think it's important to mention that at least to date no one has resigned no military leader did the secretary of defense secretary of state and of course not the president or vice president none of none of them have resigned uh none of them have you know there's been no consequences for the legal leaders have who were in charge of this debacle uh the generals um general milley in particular um who seemed more preoccupied with uh learning about white rage than taliban rage uh you know maybe he should have been more focused on the actual war than some uh, notional war that, and that was being fought in, in the imaginations of the left. Uh, maybe he should have focused more on the actual war that we were actually in. And But uh, no resignations there among the Ch- Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, no resignations, Department of Defense, no resignations from anybody in the State Department. I think they're trying to, uh, well, they're going to have the circular firing squad and there's going to be the finger pointing. And I think ultimately um, may not be in the immediate future, but ultimately I think this is probably the beginning of the end for uh, Joe Biden as president. Uh, It certainly gives the uh, Republicans ammunition to impeach him uh, the second that they take over Congress, should they be able to take over Congress in 2022 during the midterms, I think we could very well have a uh, very interesting January and February of 2023 uh, focusing on the impeachment of the president. Um, but we'll see. He may be uh, uh, 25th Amendment did the out. Before then, we'll, we'll see how bad this is. I think if you know the the Democrats may see this as you know they have to stop the bleeding, and if if you know they're going to lose the Congress, if they're going to lose the House, probably the Senate. It's only probably a matter of how bad. So they're going to want to stop the bleeding, and they may decide to cut their losses, and cutting their losses may mean getting rid of the president, but we'll see. Uh, That's the consequences. But so far, no consequences by anybody of note from this uh, unmitigated disaster. So we're going to leave it like that. Thank you for listening. Um, Hopefully you found this interesting. And please, again, listen to the previous three uh, podcasts or go over all of the other um, topics that are, are regularly uh, talked about on this podcast so thank you for listening check us out on libertyrelearn.com online liberty relearn on facebook look me up on parlor jp mac and thank you again for listening stay healthy and happy and free